what's up, dude? How you doing? I'm doing great. You I don't know? know why I always start so loud. I think it's a good way to start. Just you know? hyped. Yeah, I, we're, we're hyped. It's an exciting prospect. <laughs> it is, I totally. love talking about games. How you doing, Yusef? I'm doing well. Uh, just enjoying the. Well, I was enjoying the down, down, the downslope in the weather. Oh God! Yeah. Uh, it's come back with a vengeance, though. This today has been very hot. Yeah, New York City yeah. for all of our listeners is stupid hot. Yeah, it's stupid humid. So humid. So humid. It's I a actually, swamp. I just yeah. got back from the desert, man. Yeah. Uh, oh, and no, so it's yeah. been tough. It's been tough readjusting. I uh, mean, you forget that New York really is a swamp. Yeah, it was, it was like 105 <laughs> yeah. degrees in Utah yeah. while I was there. And um, I was in a full suit for my wedding reception. Yeah. And it did not feel at all at all close to even being outside. Yeah, it's like amazing. Any degree weather in shorts. Humidity does. Yeah, yeah. totally. It's crazy. Yeah. But enough about the weather. Ah, the uh, weather. we got a, a very exciting uh, <laughs> podcast coming up for you guys. Yeah. Uh, today we're going to be talking about Inside uh, by Playdead Studio, right? Yep. Yep. Uh, Inside, which we actually just did an entire full playthrough of uh, on a video podcast just mm-hmm. a week ago. So that's probably up on our site just below this. So mm-hmm. um, spoiler alert, obviously, on everything. If you want to watch the game, watch us play through it. It's yeah. fun. And then you can have us uh, digest it. So I did... Uh... Here, it's just coming out on PS4 next month. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. So, um, you know, you, if you don't want to have the spoilers, then I'm totally fair with you waiting. <laughs> uh, but anyway, we'll talk about yeah, that. Major you know, spoiler alert. We will spoil the bit. shit out of yeah, this game. Absolutely. But until then, uh, what you been playing, man? Well, the game that I've been playing more than anything else has been Overwatch. Overwatch. Yeah. It's got you, man. It's really got its hooks in me. Of course. Which, I mean, of course, but like also surprising for me because I always kind of, I have that, you know, I've talked about it before. I have that. That that grace period with shooters that it often runs dry after a while, Absolutely. where you know I start just getting feeling the repetitiveness of of it, and I also feeling the um, uh, feeling the la- or my 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 climbing and skill not matching my ambition. Absolutely, I always like have big dreams for how good I'm going to do it be at a shooter, but and then that you know crushed by the online community of any. Shooter. Of course, yeah, and it's just like. They take Com- like a full-time I have an uncomfortable relationship with competitive. That's true, yeah. Take it back to your football days, man. Um, but yeah, like, uh, essentially, it's what makes Overwatch somewhat avoid this uh, is its diversity of, of characters. Mm-hmm. Like, I think about, I compare it a lot to Dota because Dota... Oh, Defense of the Ancients? Yes, Defense yeah. of the Ancients, Tower Defense game, a Tower Defense Whatever. Uh, a MOBA. <laughs> Squad MOBA. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> that a game that also has a ton of characters. Sure. More. And League of Legends is similar. Yeah. Where you have these characters with very specific skills that can take the length of what would be a normal game to learn how to play. So but what Overwatch does better is that with Dota, those characters often feel impenetrable until you get to the level where you understand them you until, like, um, yeah, until you make that mastery but Overwatch you can kind of slide in and play it's like that classic game design formula of easy to learn difficult to master yeah, impossible. that's cool so you, unlike Dota where like I'll start a new character and be terrible and then drag my whole team down and feel awful in Overwatch I can pick a new character or a character that I haven't played that much and actually do pretty well with them like it, it feels a lot more forgiving yep. for for new characters and that diversity like with Dota does add to it feeling like just really like um, fresh yep. constantly so you know I'm like, I'll never pick in yeah. the same match twice yeah I'll, I'll play one match as Farah who's like this awesome Egyptian uh, woman like military commander who has the jetpacks and she has like a Gundam style approach where she's just like jetting up and hovering and shooting rockets down at people that sounds fun. Uh, and that plays almost like Quake where like Quake uh, I, I played a lot of Quake Arena I think in high school did we all yep and that was a game <laughs> where a lot of rocket rocket launchers and you had to like kind of uh, lead the, the lead the, your target so you were aiming ahead of them to try and get to where they would hit nice. and that's a whole like strategy that exists only with Farah awesome. you know like and then there's you switch to like Mercy, who's a completely healer character, kind of like the uh, the medic in Team Fortress, where you are your primary focus is just healing people. But what's cool about her is that she has this ability to to zip around the battlefield. She'll like zip to like a character. Oh, cool! She can fly directly to them, and then like so, it makes her a lot more um, survivable mm-hmm. because you'll be getting shot, and then you'll just look around and see some, a teammate and just like escape and, cool. and you like fly really fast so it almost you almost feel like this fairy or like pixie that's kind of 
um, hopping around the battlefield and like always too fast for the team to catch you, and That's then while awesome. at the same time keeping your teammates alive. So it sounds like the characters are rather specialized. Do you think that they're like yeah. as specialized, more or less specialized than characters in Dota, or is there some sort of element of maybe is it the shooting genre that allows? this yeah. sort of pick up and playability while maintaining such a specialization. I think character. that's exactly it. I think um, they are as specialized as Dota, but and Dota has similar similar um, kind of joining mechanics that a lot of characters share where it's like right click on somebody to attack them or right. shoot like, you know, there'll be a magic character, there'll be a melee character. Controls are kind of like, they have parity across these different Yeah, and it might just be me being used to shooters, you know, that allows me to hop into a character and not be completely lost. Versus you know? the RTS, which is yeah, the Dota experience. exactly. Yeah. So, totally that where like, I feel like there's a similar level of diversity of the characters um, and specialization of the characters mm. that as Dota without that crazy high bar of like mechanical of yeah mechanical knowledge. prowess yeah exactly to be I was able never to very good it. at RTSs growing yeah. up I enjoyed some of them now and then yeah but yeah I find myself more drawn to action games simply because the, my mechanical skills as a video game player yeah. are more aligned to that like sure we all have we all find our niche and kind yeah. of like a place of comfort yeah. and I think for me it's always been shooters like that's just like the kind of game that I played most when I was younger and. It just the language uh, is understood easily by me. Totally. So that's uh, where my I think my comfort with Overwatch remains. And uh, you know we we had a podcast about Splatoon, or we yeah. talked about Splatoon. Yeah, yeah and totally. They share a ton of things in common. I mean, in Overwatch, I'm able to often play games with random people online, which is often not the case with online shooters. Yeah. You know, I'll make sure to probably turn off group chat or, uh, yeah, or voice that's chat. Still humans. Yeah, I mean, there's still yeah, there's people, still and you know, even you can get drawn up into it where like people are like yelling at you and like yelling at them, and it, there's a lot of negativity that sometimes can just be avoided by just muting everybody and playing it like it was Splatoon, yeah. which has no voice chat um, by default. So that's kind of what I end up doing, and then it's fine because most of the actions are very easily telegraphed. Yeah. Like, and and it does a great job of like telling you, like when you're picking your team, you can. They'll tell you there's not enough defensive players. There's oh, not nice. enough. Uh, there's no healer. There's no. There's not enough offensive players. So like, so like kind of help you balance your team. Yeah, That's because a great. good team has like you know balance of roles. Like you usually want to have like depending if there's a defense map, you want to have more defensive players because mm. a, a lot of the way the game is structured is that you know there'll be like a either a payload which is like a some sort of car that drives across the map that you ha that only moves when one when the offending team defensive team is pushing it mm -hmm. and then um so you have this like asymmetry in those maps where you want some character you want you'll pick some characters are better for defensive defensive uh, totally. strategy totally. so yeah i mean and the game does help you along and just playing it you kind of like under you you come to realize strategies but like i said it's, it's a good it doesn't um require it doesn't have like a wall that you have to climb before you start enjoying it yeah and that's what's really fun about it. Totally. That's awesome. And it's great for, it, it's just good for my schedule right now because, you know, I'll be like working from home and then I'll be like, all right, I'll, you know, hit up my friend who's around and then I'll be like, you want to play a little bit? And then it'll just play a couple of rounds that's and then, great. you know, sign off. And that's, that's always great, you know. And so the matches are relatively short then? The matches are very short. Oh, yeah. great. So yeah. yeah, very much like Splatoon. You can yeah. just jump in. They're probably like maybe three, four more like long. Rocket yeah. League even. Exactly. This idea that like you have this repeatable gesture that's really, really fun and made even more dynamic and unpredictable because it's primarily an online competition. Yeah. I mean, really cool. this. Funnily, you mentioned Rocket League because they they just came out with a um, Olympics um, kind of I guess like a game tie in. Or... Oh, okay. And it's uh, one of the characters is like Brazilian. Oh, and, word! But he has he ha there's like a brawl mode, which is like a special mode that the game does like that changes out every few weeks. Mm -hmm. And this one is like Rocket League. Oh, nice! So That's you're awesome. running around like picking, push, pushing a soccer ball. That's perfect. Um, and I'm like, this is so funny because yeah, it's like. This is Rocket League, except that it also shows you why Rocket League is good because you need a third-person camera. Yeah, like when you're doing a first-person, it is so hard. How do you play an arena? Because you're just like running around. Where's the soccer ball? Yeah, exactly. I only played like a few, a little bit of it, so it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't the Rocket League. You know, like fun diversion. Yeah, they they do some really interesting diversions with their with the with the brawl modes because they usually just like will have you only pick certain heroes 
which is and it's really good at like you know forcing you yeah, to, to learn try, yeah try new heroes because some some heroes kind of scare you away and then you're like this brawl you can only pick them so yeah. then you kind of try it and you're like oh this is actually a fun hero to, to play yeah there's definitely like a bit of FOMO going on with me where I'm like oh man like <laughs> everyone's playing Overwatch it sounds and looks like a really great time. Um, but it's funny because, like, even though I was so crazy about Splatoon, mm-hmm. you know, eventually I just got bored of the core mechanic. I mean, not bored, but like, just there's only so much yeah. on my schedule, and there's other things that I want to do. So it's funny, like, I keep on being like, oh, like I'll buy Overwatch, but then I'll get to the game store and be like, oh, I don't, I just like try to play Splatoon some more because, like, mm. you know, I'll just like I should. Build it's almost like purchase. there's a yeah, you're like this is a there's a place in yeah. my library for Splatoon or Overwatch or Rocket League, yeah, or yeah, similar, yeah. Where I'm like, oh, I kind of quick pick up and play, yeah. yeah. Like, why don't I just play more of that versus start yeah. the whole thing? But there's a bit of that FOMO, man, because I mean, the art style looks really dope. It's like, great. The animation is really looks, good. Yeah, like, yeah. It looks really cool. Yeah. And there's just such a culture behind it right now, like sure. it's just like people are really digging it. So yeah, I might give it up, I might pick it up and play. Maybe I'll, next time we come over, I can we do like a broadcast from. Yeah, from that's silly. Yeah, that I have it on PS4, so yeah, I can totally do that. Do a couple hours of Overwatch, so I can get a taste. Yeah, yeah, that sounds like a plan. Coming soon, kids. Coming <laughs> soon. Overwatch. Overwatch. Yeah, fun game. And yeah, how are you, Tabby? What man, have you been playing? I have been basically voraciously <laughs> trying to get through my backlog, but it seems like it's almost impossible. You know, it's this, hard. It's know. the same with like movie schedules or any media schedule. Like big releases come in the fall and spring, and then we have this like vacuous kind of time uh, in the summer where I personally try to like not buy new games uh, in an effort to go back and play some old ones. Um, so I've been in terms of backlog trawling. Uh, you know, over this past trip to Utah, I logged a bunch more hours in both Binding of Isaac uh, and in Monster Hunter 4. Like, cresting 100 hours in Monster Hunter 4, so mm-hmm. I'll, I'll almost be done with it. But kind of like the new hype cycle for the new Monster Hunter Generations that just launched in the U.S. a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I went to the store, I almost bought it, and I was like, let me just play Monster Hunter 4 some more and, mm-hmm. like, get that, get the wiggles out Very mature way. of you. It was, because, <laughs> I mean, basically they're all the same games. They're just yeah. like these little bits of... Uh, evolution but you want the new shiny thing yeah i want the new shiny thing so i will get it eventually but i'm waiting for a price drop so some more monster Hunter 4 which is still really great i kind of like left the game off on like the level 9 or 10 quest right before they get like stupidly punishing so Mm. it was great because i like had a few moments of banging my head against the wall but then once you like kind of relearn the timing and the skill sets of that game it just it's like riding a bike man a very very fun bike so definitely back on monster hunter and binding of isaac is like i think i finally like I can say with confidence, like, it is the best twin-stick shooter of all time. Like, mm. I've played many, many twin-stick shooters ever since, like, the days of Smash TV. Or even <laughs> Gauntlet, when you think about it, the old coin-op Gauntlet. Sure. Like, I've loved twin-stick shooters and adventure games like that my whole life. But it's become, Binding of Isaac has become so clearly, mechanically, and systemically, like, it's game systems, such a balanced and articulated game that does so much with so little in terms of its actual mechanics and learning. Like, it takes two seconds to learn. And then you're in this game that, like, you literally will maybe never see the bottom of it. And even when you do find all the content, it is just a joy to, like, go back to and drop yeah. another 20 minutes into. So that's really, really fantastic. Um, I got, a while back, I picked up Volume by Thomas Bithel. Um, and I've it was been, a Mike Bithel. Or he made Thomas alone. Thomas alone, that's right. Mike Bithel, Thomas yeah. alone. And actually, funny enough, like, it, it's kind of, it doesn't even hold a candle to Thomas Was Alone, mm-hmm. weirdly enough, for me. And I thought that this would be the game for me. Like, it is basically more VR missions from Metal Gear Solid, right? Like, the entire setup of volume is exactly those VR missions. Like, it's isometric, uh, you know, 2.5D stealth missions. And they're all contained on these little maps. And, like, you beat a level, you go to the next one. And there's, like, a Pac-Man element you have to get through, go around each of these levels and, like, stealthily pick up all these, like, power pellets or these information pellets or whatever. You're, like, this hacker. But the thing that it's it's really not doing well... Like, mechanically, it's a fine stealth game. It does some interesting... It makes some interesting choices. Your power-ups are uh, really useful, but also very puzzle-like in their distribution. Like, you'll get, you'll get a new... Um, you'll get a new sort of stealth technology to aid you, and you know the next 15 levels are really only going to be solvable by using this thing. And then every now and then, it'll give you levels where you like kind of have to problem-solve and figure out which of the devices you can use to get through. So for me, it felt very, very linear. Uh, and I'm, I'm, it's deep. There's a lot of content, so I think if anybody likes that kind of game, go for it. But the thing that was lacking for me was the um, sort of magic, the, the 
the amazing mix of the specific story and the specific sort of uh, expression of gameplay in Thomas Was Alone. Thomas Was Alone was fantastic because it did these really articulate, had these really articulate and well-spoken geometric shapes. Yeah. You were always playing as a square surprising. or a rectangle. Yeah. yeah, and there was something in that uh, exchange that made the whole game appear to be more valuable than the sum of its parts. And in this game, there's just a lot more attention to graphical fidelity. Uh, there's the same kind of level of chatty dialogue that's going on. But I find that in all of that clarity of visual fidelity, uh, I lose a bit of that magic. I almost expect, it's almost like an uncanny valley thing. The closer it gets to feeling and looking like a yeah. standard release indie game that has like a mid-higher budget, the more scrutiny that my brain applies to it. And to me, there's the game just kind of begins just like Thomas was alone, but that magic moment where the you know the narrator starts narrating your journey in Thomas was alone uh, is more presented as a dialogue or trilogue in some cases where like two or three main characters are talking to each other uh, over the course of the game. And at no point do you ever get the game kind of even pedantically at times telling you like who these characters are or what they mean to each other. Mm -hmm. You're forced to, like many great indie games, kind of figure it out for yourself should you care to mm -hmm. uh, but I did not or do not care to now sure. 40 levels in to like the 100 level critical path uh, and so even at 40 levels in you don't, you kind of expect some level of connection or commitment to the characters but I just haven't experienced it the whole thing is incredibly baldly Robin Hood it's a Robin Hood story you steal from the rich you steal data and hack you know stuff from the rich and you give to the poor and there's like a tyrannical autocrat and there's like a AI that was helping the autocrat but is now helping you and it, it's kind of a bit convoluted and inaccessible and just kind of boring. The gameplay's great, yeah. but not phenomenal. Uh, and I kind of just, uh, I've put it down. I don't know if I'll, I'll go back to it. I mean, it's interesting, actually. I didn't think about it, I didn't think about it that way, but it makes perfect sense that um, Thomas Was Alone was a game that really succeeded on its lack of detail, yeah. on its minimalism, exactly. on what wasn't said. Yeah. And it's something that I think about a lot because I, you know, when I'm not talking about video games, I do art, I do yeah. motion design, or television, and like you know, a lot of like kind of visual effects and graphics. And there's always a draw to uh, making something complex and photoreal and looking like you know really high budget. And and I always try and kind of I tend to reject that because yeah. I really like keeping things simple and stylized because this is it's just my personal like. Um, what I what I what I appreciate in in the art form, and also the pitfall of trying to get to that level of high fidelity and then not reaching it. Yeah, exactly. Because like that's worse always than than staying where you where you're comfortable. Yeah, and where or you're comfortable visually, so then you can explore other avenues of expression. You know, like if you spend too much time trying to like master the software and trying to master whatever new technique is hot right now, yeah, you lose you, the, yeah, you lose the expression, the ability, the ability to express your creative idea. I, and I that's feel like far that's, more important. I feel like yeah. it's definitely what happened with uh, yeah. volume. And it's not like the game is bad. Uh, sure. It's not like the story is bad. It's just that that, it totally makes sense. There isn't that yeah. like magical connection. And I think you hit the nail on the head. Minimalism really helped Thomas was alone succeed. Hmm. Well, what about you, man? Anything else? Well, um, it's kind of funny when you're talking about, in a, in a, in, as a way of segueing, it was funny when you're talking about kind of the obfuscation of detail and story and uh, mechanics. I was playing Hyperlight Drifter. Oh, just yeah. the, this past few weeks because it came on PS4. I think last week. Yep. And I was a Kickstarter when I first. I was I kickstarted it when I first. Oh, came you kickstarted. Out. It. I did. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard a lot of. I've heard a lot about it. How's How's the game? Um, so I'm, it's a game where, like volume, I'm very much of mixed minds about it. Oh, okay. um, I, in terms of graphical fidelity and or graphical uh, execution, I think it's beautiful. It's it's cool. definitely one of the most beautiful pixel art games I've ever played. You know, nice. of the level of you know the the uh, Cappy Games people. Oh, Swords you know, and Sorcery. Swords and Sorcery. Yeah, and, dude, uh, it kind of looked Force. like it came from that same universe. It's a similar kind of school, let's say, yeah. of, of pixel art yeah. style, where it's a little bit more expressionist and a bit more uh, abs or, or ex experimental. Like post-pixelated. Yeah, a little post-pixelated. Post modern pixel art. Yeah, because it's uh, it's not it's not constrained to these like you know eight by eight grids. It's right. Like, things are kind of 
overflowing and, and leaking into other parts of the canvas, which is awesome. It looks so good. That's and the game takes place in this world that's like this post-apocalyptic, kind of almost adventure timey, like where it's like um, bright colors, bright palettes, like very beautiful, a lot of trees and and, um, and vegetation everywhere. But also like you, you also a little bit of Studio Ghibli where you see like these like corpses of giant um, monoliths and and Sweet. and huge robot type type uh, type creations that are just rotting in the background and having plants grow out of them. That's so so cool. it's an awesome setting and beautiful art design, but I'm just rubbing really hard against the mechanics of it. Really? Yeah, I, I think off the bat, I think they're very much trying to replicate this almost... It reminds me a lot of Zelda, the first Zelda I oh, played. Oh, okay. In that you kind of have freedom of movement for a lot of it. You're just... It's top down, you know, you can go, there's like four directions you can go mm -hmm. and four different bosses that you fight. And then in each of these areas, there are gems that you have to collect to unlock the bosses. And other than that, it's, you can go wherever, like, okay. you know, so it has that like, non like non-linear. Yeah, reminding, not linear, but while also being linear. Yeah, kind of difficult way, way that like, yeah, Zelda was, was, was uh, the first NES Zelda, which is actually the only one I really played of the NES generation. Oh, cool. I, for some reason, I never bought any of the sequels. Like, I, I just forgot. I didn't, and I was a kid. I didn't know they were, they yeah, existed. The franchise then, like, didn't really then exist. Then later on, you. I was like, wait, what? They had more than one Zelda? <laughs> I mean, you can't beat that gold cartridge. That no, was, no, it was no, fantastic. That gold cartridge was amazing. I think I still have mine. Yeah, it's, it's uh, um, so I definitely saw those roots a lot. And the other way I saw the roots were in um, messing with the environment and having secret passages mm -hmm. and and hidden walkways and walls that weren't walls. And what that where that being a primary issue for me was a lot of the story critical path was hidden behind these hidden walls. Ah. So you get to an area, in, in that, basically to unlock a boss in an area, you have to get like three gems, or three of these diamonds that then like, you know, it's just like stacks up to create a key or something like that, that allows you to see the boss. And to get them, you often, it's not obvious. It'll be, it'll be in the area on the map where it says it is, mm -hmm. but a lot of times they'll be like in a, in basically behind a hidden passageway, yeah. which I found to be like, a really frustrating way to build a game because I spent a lot of the game just like revisiting areas and kind of being uh, confused about where I was supposed to go. Totally. So I thought that was a weird way to, to structure it. I mean, some of the diamonds are easier to find than others, but ultimately there's a lot of being lost, which I thought That's was, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, kind of, I thought it was misdirected because what from from the trailers and from the, the way the game aesthetically presents itself you are this kind of interesting acrobatic like um almost like i don't know you're a mysterious character that has this ability to to move around quickly and effortless effortlessly and elegantly and you know kind of move through this world and explore it and what i found happening was the world is hard to explore yeah. because of the way I designed it and the fights are very difficult, and they were difficult in a way that clearly, I think, is owed to the Dark Souls games. Yeah, I was going to say. Um, and that it's punishing. You can only get hit a few times and you die. Unlike Dark Souls, you don't lose anything when you die. You just start a few screens back. But often, those screens are pretty far back, and that oh, would be really? super annoying. That's annoying. Because you'll be, like, in an underground area and then, like, be, like, you know, in a dungeon, and you'll be, like, a place pretty far ahead, and you'll die, and you'll go back to the beginning of a whole zone and, and you'll be like the enemies that you yeah to, okay. and sometimes repetitively yeah and i was like and I, I, I that that was very frustrating for me and because i you know i like the dark souls games i like a challenge i like not necessarily being able to just streamline my way through a, a game yeah. um, i'm okay with like running up against enemies that are tough but i, I think part of it was just the way it punishes you for losing just felt very much like a halting of progress in a way that wasn't whereas like dark souls when like you die like um it doesn't feel as much like you are being punished by losing time as you are being punished by or not or you're being punished by being returned to the start of a loop right. because you always start at the one at the same place the yeah. campfire yeah. and 
you move on from there and then you you know find some other direction to go or you fight the same enemies again and you start again and you kind of fight some other enemies you get better at it you start again so the loop it feels more like a loop whereas with um hyper light drifter it feels more like you're basically you know where you want to go and you just keep kind of struggling on your way to get there because you go to a room and die and you start like a few rooms back and you continue forward and you die and you start yeah, back um so yeah it ended up um i think just the flow of it is not as elegant as the dark souls games did i want to kind of unpack that a bit more because i know sure. you're such a huge uh, dark souls fan and i think you know just from my own playing of dark souls you know i do understand that kind of maybe similar moment of frustration when mm. you actually do die and you realize mm. where you are going to spawn back at the campfire and then you are presented with that option well do I go back after the souls that I just dropped and the path that I was just on or do I go into the myriad of other you know directions that the game could take me I wonder like what is it about that moment of death that is only returning you a few screens away that might feel so different like especially without the punishment of having your souls taken away from you is it that Hyperlight Drifter just has like less content, like it has fewer paths for you to choose from. There's less diversity uh, in what choices you can make when you're when you hit that death state, or is there something else, something that's like more intangible that just like mechanically doesn't feel as rewarding or fair when you do die? It might uh, it might be what we were talking about with the previous games in that in that half steps can be worse than extremes. I see. Um, I see. So that with Dark Souls, you it really is a final statement when you die. You know, it's like you, this is explicitly what's going to happen to you. Yeah. And then... And there's never a change in the outcome. You yeah. always go back to that campfire. Yeah. You always lose your soul. Exactly. Sense of, like you said before, a few words before, like starting a loop over again. Yeah. Whereas with Hyperlay Drifter, you can die and then you might be a screen back or you might be 10 screens back. Uh, um, yes. And, and then... Inconsistency <laughs> of not knowing. Yeah, that and just like, yeah, it, it, it doesn't invite you to reconsider your strategy or yeah. your or the way you're playing it really is just a buffer like a a, a time sink mm. to um maybe just uh i don't know i, th I think they wanted to, it to be hard yeah it and, sounds like it from a lot of the reviews and it is but you can't just make a game hard mm. you have to make it elegantly hard and, and that's rewarding. hard as hell to do yeah, totally. as a developer i mean i it makes me respect dark souls all the more mm -hmm. like for like being able to accomplish what they did totally. because you know how do you have one experience that's really frustrating and then another that is also frustrating but fun yeah like exactly. it's like really <laughs> like how do you like compute that you yeah. know it, it, it probably requires a whole area of study on its own like yeah. so. difficulty curves are incredibly difficult to manage yeah and i th and a part of it also was uh, another thing is with dark souls you have the stamina bar you kind of have a clear idea of like your capabilities and somehow like with hyperlight drifter i'm like not nailing the timing of the combat as yeah. much and i can't tell if that's because of something i'm not seeing in the structure or the feedback is not accurate well look you I mean, know video games are if if we had to take them and evaluate them as a piece of software like abstracted from whatever the context of the actual game itself is a video game is it needs to be an incredibly well-tuned feedback machine so that when the player who's operating this software presses a button or does a command enters a command on you know on their input mechanism that the output on the screen is like consistent legible yeah. and like completely at least in the illusion of the player's control and i think a lot of you know having been playing games my whole life and course just very critical of games especially in the last 15 20 years of my life it's like there's this idea that like fairness is born of legibility you know and consistency when you have game systems it, it sounds like the sound of it in hyperlight drifter that are not clearly legible to you the player that just creates frustration i mean not knowing sure. why you lost a boss battle versus being able to be like no like i learned something every time i fail in dark souls or in bloodborne i do you know, like, you really learn that, like, oh, this is the, like, exacerbated mid-speed attack of this enemy. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I never got this far down the, you know, boss's life bar, and now it whipped out a whole new attack. Got it. Learned it. Will not die to that the next time. Yeah. But I think in Hyperlight, without the stamina bar, without a clear indication of where you go when you die, you know, <laughs> without yeah. a clear explanation of what the afterlife is, um, there might be more frustration than elation. Yeah, I think it's just a matter of... Um 
like with volume, just wanting mm. to hit that, wanting it, have, having an indie game that is aiming for a double A game. Yeah. Execution. Yeah. And I understand that is hard to it do. It's very fucking hard to do. So, you know, I don't fault them at all. And I think their art style is amazing and kind of justifies playing the game at oh, least cool. a little bit. Yeah. Because it's just like such a fun world to walk around in. And Sweet. like the way they design it is laudatory. Yeah. So, you know. It's yeah. dope. Yeah. yeah. I think that, um, yeah, mixed mixed feelings. Like we've, this is a mixed feelings, uh, what we've been playing. Yeah, a lot of mixed feelings too. Same here. Super, yeah. super fast. I uh, started also playing Mirror's Edge Catalyst. Mm-hmm. And um, that's a game that I've been eagerly anticipating since I played the first Mirror's Edge. And sure. I loved yeah. it. Of course. Loved the first I Mirror's did it as Edge. well. Oh my God. What a revelatory experience for someone who doesn't like killing in their games. Like, mm-hmm. it was just this like, it was like the it was like the next generation like expression of like the feeling I got as a kid playing Mario Brothers mm-hmm. when you like held down the jump brother uh, button longer and like the the jump would arc even longer and higher mm-hmm. and like learning a set of physical commands and the thing about Mirror's Edge what it still does really well is gives you so much movement capability so many ways to traverse the environment with so few inputs you know most of the game you're just spending literally like glued to your left joystick and the left shoulder buttons which control your kind of like either jumping or crouching state and the game could theoretically play with just those inputs plus like a specialized command every now and again Mm -hmm. um but i don't know i felt something different i felt something change in me maybe when i played catalyst i mean certainly the game uh is organized differently this time around. I think the major difference is that it's in an open world scenario versus in a linear mission structure uh, scenario. And there's still these like very directed missions, the main game missions and side missions throughout the game. But traversing the city to get from one hotspot to another to begin these missions, again, on paper, I thought I would be the best fucking thing ever. Like the best thing ever (laughs) uh, as a fan of the original. But what I'm finding is while I'm reveling in the potential that uh, that open world system promises me, I think in execution it's just not as fun as the really awesome, well-directed linear missions. Like, the linear yeah. missions still take the cake. There's, like, cops beating down your back. They're running after you. Some dude ahead of you you're trying to chase down. A helicopter sweeps into view. The game's like, yo, dude, go left. Like, you need to go this way because the path is going this way. Yeah. Those moments still stand out to me as, like, these incredible, oh, shit, I haven't been breathing for the last minute and a half. This is amazing. But then I'll traverse the city and in some way, in some places, like in a very difficult and slow and metered fashion, so I have to fall off the side of a building yeah. uh, to get to a side mission, right? And then I'm in one of those races, those like basic races against time, and I'm realizing how much, you know, rote memorization and repetition count in this game. And that actually, to me, is a lot less fun than the dizzying, like, sort of moments, dizzying, amazing moments of just like discovery through action. Of like, yeah. I'm running really fast, I jump over this thing and I make a left and oh, and like this mission is like, get away from the cops. And in weirdly enough, in those more directed moments where my objective is like clearly laid out for me, it actually makes the game more flexible in those moments. Whereas yeah. the rigidity of like, you need to get to this point, you know, the game will give you like a minute and a half to get oh, yeah. through a race. And I realized that I'm beating all the races with one second left, which means I'm taking the path the game is showing me. So I, I know there's a shortcut path, but do I really want to try to discover it in minute and a half bursts? And the load times are not like instant, they're significant. Mm-hmm. So like, do I really want to like explore by sacrificing my time? Because that seems like it's the only thing that it's asking for. The skill level to do most of the advanced stuff once you get into the game system, you've hit a cap. You're like, this is how good I need to be to beat this game. Like, yeah. But then, really, it's the skill of, like, do I have the patience to, like, continuously hit the fail state while I look for the shorter path? Because yeah. there's really three to five shorter paths, you know? Sure. You just I mean, need to find them. It's an open world. I think the open world is in conflict with a lot of the aims of a game like Mirror's Edge. Certainly. I think that's the big issue. Like, you know, we talked about Assassin's Creed last time, mm. and, you know... An open world like Assassin's Creed makes so much more sense when there aren't really any fail states. Like, no. you just run around, and then if you get spotted, you just hide, and then, hey, Bell, you're good. Yep. 
and Mich- and Mirror's Edge, there are so many fail states, and like it's a, it's an open world that like again Hyperlight Drifter has like a halting feel to it, it where you're you. yeah it's a punishing open world where you make the wrong turn you've got to face a load screen and it's a long load screen yeah I mean, for, for if, a it was a, if it was an instantaneous re, I, reboot it'd be totally I different scenario I would not scenario. have any of those complaints actually and a lot of times with the side missions is that you know you have an open world I think an open world I think supports a a more light form of engagement yes and I agree a time trial is not light you have to like really sit down and dedicate a chunk of, of that game to to learn the time trials if you want to, you know, to get three stars or whatever. I'd literally see a few of the time trial markers open up on the map when I beat a mission, like a critical mission, mm-hmm. uh, and I'd look at them and just be like, do I really want to spend 35 yeah, minutes that's literally getting it. gold yeah. on yeah. this? Do I care that much yeah. about 500 XP? I don't. And so I yeah. just wouldn't beat them. And, like, they're, they're adding up, man. And it gets to the point where even me, who I'm like, you know what, I <laughs> bought this game for retail price, like, I, I should beat it, but I'm like, I don't know if I want to. I don't know if I want to. I would recommend at least like do like one play session where you're like, I'm just going to do time trials because you, I think a part of it is just like that conflict of, of motivation and interest. Like where you're just like, is this an open world game where I just do a lot of activities and get my points and level up my character and for the sake and, of and follow the story? Yeah. Or is this like the original Mirror's Edge where you loaded it up and you were like time trial one, time trial two, time right. trial three, right. and like you were doing these specific time trials exactly that were like there's That's, no conflict of interest. That's there. not a bad suggestion. Also, under have you beaten it? I have. Yeah. So should I just like try to barrel through the critical like the, the critical path missions as well? Um, I don't know. I played it where I would like spend some time doing critical path, then I'd do some time trials back and forth. Yeah. Um, I don't think the story is good at all. No, it's pretty so, crap. Yeah, it's pretty um, crap. I don't even, you know, the, I think the reason I did it was just like to unlock all the things. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think that's totally fine. Cool. You could do the critical path and then try try some time trials and then like, and and really experiment with you know with how how to get from point A to point B because I think that's where they shine. Where like you. When you get that like eureka moment where yeah. you're like, oh, I can totally not I even can, like, go this way at all. This other thing. Yeah. I'm in all and that's where zone. the open world kind of supports the time trial. Yeah. Um, and, and the really only way, only t- place it does yeah. is where you have that, the, like, unlike the first game where there really were, weren't too many side paths, like, now you can really kind of explore the space and find a way to unlock. That's dope. Um, you know, time. Well, speaking of time, speaking uh, we of should time. probably move on to the game of the yeah. hour so that we yeah. can give it its proper time to reflect. So, uh, the game of the hour for us uh, today is Inside by Play Dead. This mm. is the sort of spiritual successor to Play Dead's last indie darling called Limbo. Yes. Uh, we were, I was lucky enough to have uh, Yusef host me last week to play it at his place on his PC rig. And you can, you can check out that video below this one, uh, below this uh, podcast. Um, and Yusef, Take us through it, man. Take us. What did you think of uh, Inside? What were your impressions of it? Well, you know, uh, we talked about it a little bit last week, but it, it, it'll be it'll be this will be an addendum slash mm-hmm. further exploration of how we feel about it. Yeah. And my thoughts on it are after having you know now gone through it three times, is it's just a it's a really it's a it's a it's a game that has an idea and explores it very. Thoroughly and forcefully, mm. like it really is dedicated to kind of exploring an aesthetic, and every system, every systemic part of it is a is born from that aesthetic. Yeah. And in Inside's case, it is very much about technology and um, how humankind is subsumed by and relates to it. Mm. And you know, it's a platformer where you're controlling a little boy, like in Limbo. As you run through this world of strange dangers, terrible, terrible, terrible strange dangers, dangers. and strange, yeah. yes, very strange um, and very dangerous. I got that impression for sure. Yes, don't want to mess with any of these strange, dangerous things. <laughs> don't want it. Strangerous, um, strangerous, full of strangerous. And yeah, it's a, it's a platformer, but its mechanics are very simple and straightforward. And one might argue it's 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 more dedicated to telling its story than it is to providing a. Any kind of traditional game experience. I would 100% agree with you. Yeah, which I'm totally fine. With I, it felt like I was basically pushing I a lot of yeah, platformers. I was pushing like the little boy around the environment as if I was pushing like 
I was like the engine that was propelling all of these beautiful things and scary things to happen. Like, yeah. it's almost like the world was waiting for the boy to hit a specific mark for like, almost like a theater, mm-hmm. like a stage sure. play. You're waiting for like the main character to hit a mark for this exact thing to happen. Like some kind of a, cute. it's like a zootrope where yeah, you're yeah, like, yeah. they're winding it forward and it's playing through the animation. Yep. And while there are definitely challenges, like they puzzles, puzzles you have to figure out. Yeah. Um, it was. But they're the puzzles you know, of like where to stand at what point. Yeah. Less I mean, the puzzles yeah. of like, you know, a mechanical difficulty. There were a couple of them, but like, sure, there were very few where it like required, like you were saying, like a traditional video game skill. It was more like an observational skill of where yeah. do I need to be standing when this thing happens. Yeah. Or, yeah. And the story tells is very abstract and ambiguous. Yeah. What yeah. is the story? What do we? Huh? I mean. Ah. For me, what I, what I like is that, like Limbo, anybody's guess is good. You know, like, I mean, there are certain undeniable facts about it. Like, there are, this is a society that is not our own, necessarily. It's a, um, for me, it feels almost like alternate reality, slightly futuristic, you know, still, but still very much within our, our period of time. Like, the, there's not, like, while there are, like, kind of impossible structures in the game, yeah. it, like, the actual... The, the aesthetical elements that builds into it are very much borrowed from um, modern industry and also um, corporate style. Yes. So the way, if you look at the game as a kind of linear A to B point, you start in this farmland that is also what I see as this dumping ground for the experimentation and more scientifically advanced parts of the game that happen later. So it's a game called Inside, but you start outside. Exactly. Okay. You start outside and you go inside. And you go and inside. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, you, it it appears, you know, from the way the game starts where you're basically running away from these uh, human agents that are trying to catch you, and it, it would seem almost like it's an escape attempt, but as you play the game, you're actually it's delving into... It's an infiltration. Yeah. You're, you are there actually trying to keep you out. And so you're running into this area and you start in a more kind of more barred nature, more um, suburban or r- rural like area that has a lot of like ties into like factory farming and and uh, some some and things like that. And then like you kind of move on to more impossible areas where you dive underwater and you're at this in these these sunken underwater facilities that seem like they were once used and now maybe have been capsized yeah. and just sent to the bottom of the ocean. And then you make your way through them until you're finally in a operating facility or a currently operating facility yeah. that is um, hosting these strange human experiments and whatnot. And she gets um, real fucking deep, man. She gets really crazy. Yeah, and there's well, there are these areas that are just labs, and then there's also areas that are just like boring corporate atriums. Yeah. Um, so it's this really like regularized like society that's built around human. And yet fantastical and oversized exactly. and totally yeah. nuts. It's mundane, but also There's fantastical. There's like the upside down floating corpse things, those yeah. like weird homunculuses that are under mind control. And it's funny because like I, so much of what I did after we played together was just trying to like dissect and pull out a bunch of meaning from it. Sure. So I read a bunch of different competing theories. There's like fantastic Reddit forms where people were trying to pick the game apart. And one of the kind of like cooler readings that I read about uh, inside was that potentially the game was this huge allegory for cancer uh, that you as the little boy are playing as a cancer cell mm. um, and that the guys with the white masks are like the white blood cells basically trying to capture you and kill you before you can infect the body which is like the factory mm. um, and there was all these different basically it's a reddit we, we should post the link to it it's really cool it's worth a, a read um, and basically just talking about how as the boy goes further and further into the facility and gains all these interesting different powers like the ability to control other cells like those like husks, those homunculus things with the yeah. mind control and then in one sequence where you have to like walk along the same path as them and like repeat their motions while the system uh, is watching you mm-hmm. talks about how that's a metaphor for like can cancer cells can sometimes hide themselves by yeah. you know appropriating the actions or the cellular structures of other uh, like healthy cells um so it was a really interesting algorithm i thought it went pretty far but then of course reddit does what reddit does best and it starts picking holes in it right <laughs> and i kind of thought about how i've read all these competing theories about uh inside and none of them really stuck and so it got me a little bit frustrated because i'm like oh what am i going to talk about in the podcast and i can talk about this like game that lacks meaning and so i had to really 
but it doesn't lack meaning. In fact, it's chock full of meaning, and the, the meaning is just incredibly abstracted. So I started to think about like what uh, potential, you know, other theories or other art forms could potentially like help me understand like what inside is trying to do. And I actually arrived on I was I started doing random searches for like basically what forms of expressionism existed out there because it, it didn't feel to me like inside was abstract expressionism because it was incredibly concrete. Um, so it led me to research a bit about like early expressionism. Um, and I felt like there were some early expressionist artists and thinkers that really helped me understand um, what inside is able to achieve. Because I mean, in expressionism, you know, you have essentially this, it's, you know, it's like this modernist art movement expressed mainly through painting, poetry, writing. Um, but it's this like, you know, it distorts reality enough to basically evoke a mood. That's the whole thing. It's like taking you know, a starry night and swirl, that's his abstract expressionism, but swirling it into this mass of shapes that evokes the feeling of being lost in the sort of cavernous abyss of staring into a starry sky, you know? But the early expressionists, before it went fully abstract, I actually found were quite comparable in form to what was happening in Inside, specifically the paintings of uh, Egon Schiele, uh, Schiele, Schiele, 1910, his uh, work, The Portrait of Edward Kosmak, is this incredible painting, and in fact, that early expressionist style feels so cool because you take these rigid forms like a portrait of a guy in a business suit and you start to like you know bend and extend like the shoulders of the suit to give this sort of real sense of uh, ominous curvature the face is a little bit more uh, again expressionist it's like bringing out the themes behind that figure in a standard painting and very much in that way i feel like inside plays with shapes that we are aware of not only aesthetically, but system systemically. Like it's a platformer. Mm -hmm. Left, right, up, down, jump, activate. Right. Very basic controls. We all know what we're getting into, but it takes that form and it bends it. It, it uses it in service to this very aesthetical uh, expression. And the aesthetics of inside take, like you're saying, shapes and forms that are incredibly custodial and corporeal. Like we know what an office looks like. In fact, we know that this is not a lab, this is a waiting room, mm -hmm. and we know that this is a lobby, and we know that this is a test chamber, because we do, because it's... Of the zeitgeist. Yeah. Right, it's the zeitgeist of it, but it yeah. also is fantastical, and, and beyond those shapes. It uses those shapes to evoke a feeling of uh, desolation, a feeling of fear at times, a feeling of uh, escape, a feeling of... Uh, of being overwhelmed. I mean, there's just so many moments where it just felt that way. Um, and another early expressionist that uh, really helped me, I think, understand potentially some of the themes that were going on inside of Inside was uh, Nietzsche. And Nietzsche never wanted to consider himself uh, an expressionist. He was an anti-expressionist, but his, some of his writings are considered to be expressionist, um, especially this one book of his called Thus Spoke Zarathustra, Zarathustra sorry, um, where the concept of the Ubermensch is created, uh, the theme of the sort of eternal recurrence, the like life happens on these cycles and we're doomed or doomed or, or in some cases charmed enough to repeat it over and over again, uh, that a life without fear basically is about a life that always will repeat the same actions. By repeating the same actions through every expression of your life, uh, you are essentially living a life without fear because you wouldn't change anything. You'd hmm. be ultimate. The thing that the, the one theme within uh, Tales of the, uh, the sorry, the Thus Spoke Zarathustra was the will to power. Uh, this idea that the fundamental component of the human identity, like everything that we do, is an expression uh, of our will towards power. And I felt like the boy uh, and the boy's progression through inside spoke very cleanly to that will to power because. What is motivating us, right? In the game environment, like very coldly, we are, you know, the players are motivating this kid by holding the right joystick, right? We move him towards his predestined, you know, set of occurrences. But the narrative progression is essentially this boy getting more powerful. I mean, is it not? Like, sure. we see him, what is it, make out with that terrible undersea thing, die, and come back to life as something that doesn't even need to breathe anymore. It's like got gills or whatever, it can breathe underwater. You know, we see the first experiment with that power through the submersible, which gives him that ramming speed power. And then finally, in a transformation to the blob, as this, like, ultimate, like, uber-mensch, super-human, like, past-human, yeah. like, many-human, mega-homunculus, uh, and smashing through every barricade that possibly presents itself to you. So, in that way, I just felt like a really strong tie to expressionism, to early expressionism. 
in yeah. inside. That, I mean, that's a great, and that's well argued, and I totally, yeah, totally see the the oh, like connections, just, connection yeah, there. Just, I mean, oh, it's a good connection, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I could talk about some of the some of the connections that I made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, first, like I wanted to reference a a pretty interesting paste article uh, about um, inside and and how and basically talks about how it makes an argument about capitalism. Ah, yes. Um, and the dehuman dehumanizing effects of capitalism mm -hmm. and what's most interesting to me is how um, the player becomes complicit in in the system oh through gosh. through how they have to conduct themselves because in the game you like you said you you can control a lot of these homunculi yeah you kind of get in, you you put on the little headset and you can make a move around and you in many of the uh, cases of the game you have to use them to solve puzzles so you have to like embrace it the way the system is already functioning. Yeah, I think and what the author uh, wrote was, uh, "What were once humans become mere resources for the player, a number. The structure and solution to this and other puzzles force the player to become complicit with the systemic dehumanization of people." And what puzzle that was referring to was actually the the puzzle where you have to get twenty people onto the oh my gosh platform yeah, totally. So there's a platform that basically is the giant pressure plate for the door next to you and for it to to function is the requirement for it to function is that 20 people have to stand on it and 20 people are not probably will, willingly going to stand on this and the area is full of homunculi that are normally just resting dormant which you then can control yep. and so you bring them you kind of amass this crowd of husks that follow you around and you can then eventually deposit them onto the the plate and there's actually one husk that's just dead yeah just and not functioning and dead you, on that. you just drag it over the ledge and toss it yeah. onto the plate which is kind of the final the final uh, ex exclamation or or example of you know dehumanization in, the, in this factor and so it just um kind of talks about how this is simply put a statement about uh, the dehumanizing effects of capitalism, as well that walk this way sequence, right? The one yeah. where you're like, I mean, that's it's and almost you're like kind filming. of in a cattle market. Yeah, yeah, you're like, you're basically just yeah. like it, it is. It felt like another moment of dehumanization. Yeah. it really reminded me a lot of like, you know, post Holocaust imagery uh, of like yeah. people basically having to walk in a specific, you know, death march essentially or a line. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and the article also points to stuff that's still happening. You know. The Holocaust is obviously an example that comes up with the game, yep. but um, you know we do have a global human trafficking issue Absolutely. that is an undercurrent and supported by capitalism, and you know a, a symptom of it. Almost required by capitalism. So the two examples I found really like um, stirring were in Walmart processed uh, or sells shrimp that's processed by trafficked migrant workers. Uh, these workers are forced to work against their will by employers who had confiscated their work permits health cards, IDs, and passports. They were then monitored by guards in case they tried to escape. The 2022 FIFA World Cup is being held in Qatar where migrant slave laborers are building the infrastructure and stadiums. Estimates report that one person working on the World Cup infrastructure in Qatar dies every day yep. due to working conditions and the inability to quit or leave. More than 4,000 slave laborers will ultimately die by the time the 22 FIFA World Cup begins. So like, it's like you don't have to look far. No to see the kind of structures the game is criticizing. You know, these are the the end result of capitalism is is a is using humanity as a fuel, as a as a kindling yeah. for, you know, to produce wealth, to produce cornerstone of Western economics is yeah. cheap or free labor. Yeah, and then um, for me that also ties into something that occurred to me when I was playing the game was I had also played Doom, which is a game I have been playing, but I, I wanted to bring it up here. This is you've been playing the new Doom, the new Doom, yeah, new yeah. Doom, N U D O O S. <laughs> umlaut, <laughs> yeah, umlaut, of course. New it is Doom. tech we're talking. Yeah, about. exactly. Um, and new Doom is also is has striking similarities besides being a very cartoony game. Um, to inside, to inside, yeah. Huh. Um, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to unpack that one. Sure. I gladly will. Um, you know, both games make an argument about our own world. Uh, infinite growth is not sustainable on a finite planet. 
Doom's narrative acknowledges this by dredging up its own version of unobtainium and presenting it as the only way humanity can continue along its path of unfettered growth. Wreck and ruin and demon invasions are considered necessary byproducts in the service of greed and techn technological narcissism. And inside, we start the game in the dumping grounds of a great technological wave among the human detritus it generates and end in the creepily sterile offices and atriums of a corporatized society. Through these and other examples, both games are successful in critiquing the careless drive toward technological advancement, advanced in the name of the very humanity that is being supplanted in the process. Ooh. So, you know, you kind of have this situation where um, they're critiquing that, that need to grow, that need to expand for no reason. And I uh, last night, interestingly, I just watched uh, The Little Prince, oh, the, yeah. the Netflix uh, movie. How was it? I liked it. I mean... It was beautiful. It looked beautiful. It was a beautiful movie. But um, obviously, the, the, the book also comments on it, but you kind of run into that businessman character. Yes. Who's like, I'm going to count all the stars, and I'm going to like become rich because of this. And the kid's like, why? What do you need? You're sitting on a planet. And he's yes. like, well, you know, I... I need like I'll don't worry about it. I'll I'll figure it out. <laughs> like I, I mean, <laughs> figure it yeah, out. You know, I get I'll get rich riches. first. I need the stars now. Yeah. And it's kind of like this unquestioned uh, need to grow. Like why do we need these giant Olympic games that oh, require God, slave labor? Yeah. And awkward. every time they happen, yeah. they do. Like you know, Brazil is not without its examples. Fucking you know. More, I mean, Brazil is a tragedy. It's yeah. Gonna, and it, I, I'm so scared for what's going to happen to that country when the games are over. I have no idea. But yeah. it's, it's an absolutely perfect example. Yeah. It's something that started out very baldly as a control mechanic, something to appease the masses, bread and circus, you know, give them give them a big spectacle to take their mind off of governmental corruption, the, the stiffening control that we have over them, and look at us now. Sure. Like we, exactly. I mean, here we are sitting in, a, in our American comfort, you know, talking about luxury software. Mm -hmm. Right, that is beautiful and artistic and completely abstract, and I think some of the themes that you're talking about are 100 percent dead on. And yet, it's this interesting moment where we're caught in the circuits, we're caught in the we're part of the system. We are. We're complicit. Yeah. We are. We are absolutely. I mean, every day we pay our taxes, and we every day we go to work while you know bodies are being taken by violence of the state. Like mm -hmm. we are complicit in that system, and yet we are blind to its inner workings it's a weird inner machine it's anatomy and there yeah. you know there we are well there's a great uh, one of the great images in inside were are when you first before you right before you go underwater you know you're leaving the industrial part of it that had the that had the cattle market of human humanity yes. ro rolling through and you see a train platform where uh just a high-speed modern looking train is stopping picking up passengers and zooming on yeah and you walk a little further and then you see another train and it's just full of bodies of like the humunculi bodies of these mindless humans that are probably being taken taken to work somewhere or just disposed of who can who say knows? you know yeah. it who doesn't knows? matter yeah it doesn't, doesn't matter. really matter yeah. it's happening i mean the they're, they're scattered throughout the game in a way to suggest that they don't have any import yeah. to the actual world like you can they're they're the detritus of the left behind by exactly. by you know these more advanced this more advanced class exactly. because it's also a very classist argument going on in the game you know there's a very yes. strict caste system that's and, happening and whether it's whether it's like class as dominance there's definitely like a statutory theme yeah. like i'll never like there was this couple of moments where the white mask would come, a white mask figure would come out with a white mask child mm. that made it feel more casty than classy to me yeah. because they were still working you know the people in the white masks were serving a function the 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 doctors and scientists at the end near the end climax of the game were all working or serving a function and i personally could not see the delineation of of, of like hierarchical levels to them i.e i didn't know if the white masks were above or below rank the scientists near the end of the game um and then there were the smattering of husks all around, the like soulless characters that just sort of waited about. They seemed lower in class sure. or lower in hierarchy. Probably the ones that felt, deal directly with them. Yeah, what I definitely them. felt was a system of caste. Yeah. Was that the white mask had a white mask son, you know? That there were no white masks hanging out with the laboratory, you know, the doctor guys. Um, sure. And nobody hung out with the long, freakish, black-haired, jet-underwater, psycho-ringu character, whatever mm -hmm. the hell that was. Mm -hmm. It's terrifying shit. 
Um, but I did, I not not. To, I don't disagree with your reading of it. I just I for me it felt more like cast than class. Sure. Uh, that like there were roles in this weird system. Well, you kind of yeah. I feel like it depends on how literally yeah you, you interpret so. it for sure. Because yeah. like you know obviously yeah, uh, if you look at it literally. Slavery, you know. Yeah, exactly. You have, exactly. Very literally. I mean, and slavery has a lot of great um, overlaps there where... Wonderful overlaps. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, we're <laughs> you know, great by yeah. effective, effective, not by qualitative. Yeah. Um, <laughs> for all our listeners out there. You have the white shirt. Yusef is not arguing for slavery. Let's, let me just tell you about <laughs> slavery. <laughs> let me just tell you about it. Um, you know, you have the white sharecroppers who are yeah. poor and destitute and were not at any you know not at the level or not at the level of their white peers who they you know were but then they were able to be swayed yes by their skin and being able to put down the africans that have been brought to the u.s yeah, they were still in a position of exploitation of some some class yeah, exactly. or some group below that so you so you have the there you have the 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 mixing of caste and class yes because by creating class you can't by creating caste you can then allow people to look look beyond class. Yes, exactly. And that Formative. allows, yeah, the these these lower class people to then at least have a scapegoat, at least have somebody that they can be above, and prevents them from looking at you, the, the plantation owner or the boss who has all the wealth. Exactly. You know, and that's what's happening right now. And that's what's happening. It's been oh, happening. Snap. It's been happening. <laughs> continue to happen it's, and it's very effective it is it's fucked up man like yeah. it's hard it's really hard right now to think about it like the on a daily basis being confronted by the sort of discriminant this, the discriminations of the system that we live in as america i'll only speak to us as americans i know this problem sure. is bigger than us but you know our problem right now with specifically like police brutality um being brought against people of color but specifically like black people in america uh you know of all the people of color, this is like the most discrimination I think our system has produced is the murder or incarceration of black people in America. And that's, this is something that is, it's like a fundamental reality of our country's history is the exploitation of black bodies mm-hmm. and that it continues in such a pronounced way. Like, I don't know how we're not holding up side by side images of like public lynchings, mm-hmm. right? From the mid century and the early century to like, these videos that are being shared almost every day, either body cams or cell phone captures, of like the authority mm-hmm. murdering black people in the streets or in their private homes. Mm-hmm. Like, it, we're living absolutely in that system. And then a game like Inside comes out, and you're just like, oh, like this is just another, weirdly enough, maybe an expression of our Western like grief or anxiety about this terrible reality on reality mm-hmm. paradox that we're living in. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to kill black people. Like, I don't want to bring discriminating violence to black bodies. And yet I go to work every day. Yeah. And yet I, like, deliberate about what type of sandwich I want to eat for yeah. lunch. Yeah. I collect my paycheck. And the system pushes itself on by my complicity, by all of our complicity. And then the yeah. system inside, literally, like, what would happen if you started the game and just, like, did not move forward? Nothing. Nothing would happen. The system would go on, but you would not be complicit in it. But you also wouldn't have fun. You'd never activate the story. You'd <laughs> yeah. never You'd never push it to its final outcome. To live is to be complicit. Yeah. And but then, then also the kid ultimately, you know, embraces some form of rebellion against the system by being subsumed by this experimental being that then see. goes back and crushes everything in his path while also being funneled by the system in its own way like people are expecting it to do that and are able to funnel him around so you kind of have this like an interesting ending i mean what about um, that secret ending too because wait the 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 standard ending is you you turn into this giant blob multi-homunculus mega homunculus and then you smash it up yeah you roll you finally escape you're back outside again for the first time since the beginning of the game and then you die on the shore yeah Right? As if when excised from the factory, you cannot survive. Right? And, and yeah, I think that is a potent statement. I think it, there's a certain amount of, a certain amount of inescapability. Yeah. Like you, you can. And just, inevitability. Inevitability. And, you know, but it, it also felt somewhat hopeful, you know, the, the dying in the sunlight, you know, when yeah. everything else has been shrouded in darkness. 
Yeah. And so it, I think it's an interesting, complex ending. And to talk about the secret ending, basically has the kid, the the child, going underground toward the beginning of the game. The yeah, before factory. even yeah, he reaches the factory. But mainly just to find this room that can, consists of like a bunch of computer screens and a bunch of wires leading into them, and then a, a wall that has just a giant plug plugged into it. Which once you pull it out, the kid kind of collapses. So it almost, I think, I think for me, the secret ending kind of points at the player in some way, in maybe just being more explicit about your complicity in it. Yeah. You know, like saying that you know you're controlling the kid. You've caused this to happen. You've yeah you. Like the, it's interesting, and I think it also makes a statement about computer characters or game characters as a manifestation of player agency and like how you know how feasible it is for a player controlled character to have their own identity because like they're they're just doing what you're making them do and player characters in a video game setting by definition are meant to be action oriented they are meant to be the expression of the player the human player's action within the engine within the system so what would it mean to be a player or or an avatar that does not yeah, you know, and maybe and maybe exists. by pointing at you as a player, it's making the same statement that we made earlier that, you know, we are existing in this privileged, luxurious space. Like we, you know, while this statement is um, condemning uh, capitalism, capitalism supported the making of this game. Absolutely. So you know, we are still complicit in the system, and let's not forget that we are part of it. It's not just this boy uh, using the 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 sins of the system to progress it's also us the player you know kind of asking us in some way to not not forget that which i think is a potentially powerful statement you know the developers understand how inevitable um parts of it are yeah. you know totally and, and with yeah. that you know terribly morose <laughs> note will also point the attention back on you the listener a part <laughs> of this system yeah. of uh almost voraciously consuming the uh, the systemic suffering of another that we will never fully identify. <laughs> and on that note... <laughs> yeah! Yeah! Video game video hour. hour! I Inside. mean, you can't talk about a game like Inside and end on a positive No, note. no, no. This we're, game is super we're all dark. expressionist, it is dark as metaphorical cancer cell. You know? But it, I mean, it's, it's definitely the most thoughtful game I've played this year. Oh, word up, yeah. Um, it's very, it was yeah. very thoughtful. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I thought it was... It, it was it was actually more fun to play with you. I don't know if I would have enjoyed it as much playing it alone. Okay. Um, I really enjoyed playing it in a social setting, as as strange as it sounds, because that game does feel kind of insular. Hmm. Um, its incredible linearity would have bothered me more if I were not playing it with someone to like comment on it as we went along. Because hmm. it did at times feel more like a walking simulator than most people who describe walking simulator games. Like It felt more walking simulator than Gone Home somehow for me. Well, yeah, like those two dimensions yeah. really feel like it's a, like I said, a zoetrope. You know, you are exactly. winding it up. Exactly. That's exactly how the, your zoetrope uh, observation is perfect. It felt like I simply was arriving like a pointer at a point or like moving a spotlight around a, mm. an ever long theater like, yeah. backdrop, basically. Yeah. And the spotlight was this cute little boy that would die in terrible ways. Where am I? Why back up? Why back up? But yo, uh, as always, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, thank you. Shout outs to at Old School Brian on Twitter for the amazing theme music. Yeah. Um, and hopefully we'll be back again soon with another one. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for listening. 